A moment of prayer as we stand. Lord Jesus, you are the hope of the nations because in you there are unsearchable riches. Give us now, we pray, by your Holy Spirit, minds that understand, hearts that are entranced and thrilled, and wills that are eager to obey your call to us today. Amen. Please be seated. Can I invite you to please return with me to that passage from Paul's letter to the Ephesians. That's Ephesians chapter 3, verses 1 to 13. And this can be found on pages 1174 and 1175 in the church Bibles. The letter to the Ephesians has sometimes been called the Switzerland of the New Testament, and with very good reason, because in this great epistle we're amidst the loftiest peaks and the most stunning vistas of Christian faith and experience. A map of Switzerland that I have at home recommends to the visitor certain towns and landscapes in that country as being worth a detour, and they're given a little star on the map. And here in chapter 3, verses 1 to 13, we accompany Paul on a short but thrilling detour as he develops his thought and teaching. Our passage begins, chapter 3 and verse 1, with these words, for this reason I, Paul, the prisoner of Christ Jesus for the sake of you Gentiles. But halfway through, at that point, halfway through a sentence, Paul interrupts himself and sets off on a detour. And he doesn't return to his main path until verse 14. For this reason, he says, I kneel before the Father. And then at that point, he picks up what he had originally intended to do, which is to offer a prayer. But we're dealing this morning with the detour. Claude will be speaking next Sunday morning about the wonderful prayer that follows. But the detour, verses 1 to 13, comes about, perhaps as Paul remembers where where he is and why he is in chains, shackled to a Roman guard. It's because, he says in verse 8, he has been given the privilege of proclaiming to the Gentiles the unsearchable riches of Christ. The unsearchable riches of Christ. They are a vast continent that we can only begin to explore and to discover They are an unfathomable ocean. And however deep you dive, you can never get to the bottom of it. They are inexhaustible treasures. 
You come time and time again to fill your hands and your pockets from these treasures, and they are never, ever depleted. In Christ, there are unsearchable riches. Unsearchable, but not completely unknowable. Otherwise, how could Paul have been called to proclaim them to the Gentiles? Indeed, from this passage, we can learn at least four things about Christ and his unsearchable riches. The first is this. In Christ, an age-old mystery has been revealed. Verses 4 and 5. Paul speaks of the mystery of Christ, which was not made known to men in other generations, as it has now been revealed by the Spirit to God's holy apostles and prophets. So you see that Paul is not saying that the mystery of Christ was not known at all in previous generations, but that it was not known then as it is known now. In Old Testament times, there were indeed predictions and anticipations and foreshadowings of the one who was to come, the Christ, the Messiah. But now, the mystery of Christ has been fully revealed. It's there for all to see. It's now an open secret. You know, even in the days of our Lord's flesh, this mystery had not yet been fully revealed. Have you ever wondered why, for example, Jesus says so little in the Gospels about the meaning of his own death? If we just tracked through uh, the sequence of thought in our, from our Gospel reading this morning, by God's revelation, Peter is enabled to confess Jesus as the Christ, the Son of the living God. But then Jesus goes on to reveal and to talk about his death in Jerusalem. But at that point, Peter says, Never, Lord, this shall never happen to you. They weren't ready even to accept the fact of Jesus' death. How could they begin to understand the meaning and significance of that death in any depth or detail? And in uh, John's Gospel in chapter 16, Jesus, uh, just on the day before, on the night before he died, uh, said to his disciples, there are many things that I'd like to tell you, but you aren't ready for them yet. But when he, the spirit of truth, comes, he will then guide you into all truth. Only after Christ's crucifixion could its full meaning be poured into that great event. This, I think, is at least part of the reply that we must give to those who attempt to set the teaching of Paul, who has much to say about the meaning of Christ's death, against the teaching of Jesus, who has relatively little to say about that. Anyway, Paul is thrilled to have been entrusted with this mystery that has now been revealed in Christ through the Spirit. But what does he say about the content of this mystery? 
What has now been revealed exactly? Well, second, in Christ, a new society has been created. This is the content of the mystery of Christ. Verse 6, this mystery is that through the gospel, the Gentiles are heirs together with Israel, members together of one body, and sharers together in the promise in Christ Jesus. The mystery, once hidden but now revealed, is that the Gentiles and the Jews are fellow heirs of the same inheritance, fellow members of the same body, and fellow partakers in the same promise. There had been many signs in the Old Testament that God had a plan for all nations, and not just for the Jewish nation. The Lord had promised long ago to Abraham that in him all the nations of the earth would be blessed. But everyone would have assumed that this would require other nations to be assimilated into the Jewish nation, observing circumcision, Sabbath, food laws, sacrifices, and all the rest. No one then could have realized that with the coming of Christ and the outpouring of the Holy Spirit, all of that would be swept away, and in its place would be made one new people, with Jewish believers and Gentile believers on a completely equal footing. In Christ, that is to say in union with Christ, God has created a single new humanity. We are a building with Christ as the cornerstone, Paul teaches. It's a lasting union that we have together in Christ. We are a body with Christ as the head. It's a living union that we have together in Christ. We are a bride with Christ as the bridegroom. It's a loving union that we share together in Christ. And Paul will begin to spell out the implications of what it means to be members of this new humanity in the later chapters of this great epistle. Now I move on to my third point. What else is Paul saying about the unsearchable riches of Christ? Well, he's saying this. In Christ, a gripping drama is being played out. I mentioned earlier that Ephesians is a letter of alpine proportions, But actually, it's much more even than that. This teaching has, in fact, cosmic dimensions. Ephesus, you may recall, was a city in the thrall of magical practices and the occult. But let me tell you, says Paul, about real spiritual power. Already in chapter 1 and verse 3, Paul has rejoiced that God has blessed us in Christ in the heavenly realms. Later, in his famous passage on the Christian's armour in chapter 6, Paul will, will assert that our struggle is not against flesh and blood, 
but against the rulers, against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world, and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. And here, in chapter 3 and verse 10, he declares that God's intent was now, through the church, that the manifold wisdom of God should be made known to the rulers and authorities in the heavenly realms. What is the church for? Jumble sales? Keeping ancient buildings going? Maintaining certain musical traditions? Social outreach? Evangelism? Worldwide mission? Worship? Well, of course, we'd want to accept some, if not all, of those possible purposes for the church. But the answer that Paul gives here as to the purpose of God's church is very striking. The church exists, he says, to make known to the angelic powers the manifold wisdom of God. I think we may assume that even the good angels, powerful, holy, and intelligent as they must be, are amazed to see what God in his wisdom has achieved in and through his son, Jesus Christ. Life through death. Death, uh, excuse me, glory through shame. Blessing through curse. Power through weakness. Who would have thought it? No angel in heaven could have made that story up. And think here on earth how foolish, how weak, how irrelevant and how hopelessly out of touch the Christian church is often thought to be today. Consider how many people professing Christians, as well as unbelievers, glibly will say, we like Jesus, but not the church. And then reflect on what Paul has to say here, that is in the church, not the church as institutionally conceived, but the church as the body of Christ, The church chosen by God, redeemed by Christ, sanctified by the Spirit. It's in the church that there is revealed to the wondering gaze of angels, the multicolored, the many-splendored, the manifold wisdom of God in Christ. And all of this is no afterthought. It is, according to verse 11, according to God's eternal purpose, which he accomplished In Christ Jesus our Lord. Moving on then to consider a fourth aspect of the unsearchable riches of Christ. In Christ, a wonderful privilege is offered. Verse 12 says, In him and through faith in him, we may approach God with freedom and with confidence. Dear friends, there is no question more urgent or more pressing than this question. How can guilty sinners find access to a holy God? Despairing Job cries out, If only I knew where I could find him. Skeptical Richard Dawkins surmises, There is almost certainly 
no God. But both despair and scepticism are answered by the invitation of Jesus Christ, who says, Come to me, all who are weary and heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Yes, we may approach God with freedom and confidence in Christ and through faith in him. And this is wonderfully symbolized as we come to the Lord's table this morning. We come offering nothing but our need and our simple trust. And we receive in turn Christ in all his fullness, Christ in all his unsearchable riches, feeding on him in our hearts by faith with thanksgiving. Two points by way of conclusion. In Christ there are unsearchable riches. Let's receive these riches gladly. I hear in the news that someone in the UK has just won the Euro Millions lottery jackpot of £113 million. And they haven't yet come forward to claim it. They don't even realise that from now on their lives are about to change spectacularly. They just don't realise it. How different it was for Paul. He knew that he was a beneficiary of these unsearchable riches of Christ. And he knew that it had made a huge difference to his life. This religious zealot had been turned into a follower of Jesus Christ, this blasphemer into a saint, this Pharisee into an apostle, this persecutor into a missionary, and all this by the mighty working of God's sovereign grace in Jesus Christ. No matter who you are or what you have done, you too can be transformed. Let's receive those riches gladly. And let's share them generously. Someone once said to those who claim to follow Christ, if one-tenth of what you believe is true, then you ought to be ten times as excited as you are. And certainly Paul did not keep this to himself. He was thrilled to have been given the privilege of proclaiming these unsearchable riches of Christ. So thrilled, in fact, that to be a prisoner in chains was to him a small price to pay. What, I wonder, would we be willing to give or to give up to share these unsearchable riches with others? Did not our Lord himself say, freely you have received, freely give? But now Paul has reached the end of his diversion. Now he says, I'm back on track. Now I'm ready to pray, he says. And I'm ready to pray too. May God, out of his glorious riches, strengthen us with power through his spirit in our inner being, so that Christ may dwell in our hearts through faith. May we, being rooted and established in love, have power together with all the saints to grasp how wide and long and high and deep is the love of Christ and to know this love that surpasses knowledge 
that we may be filled to the measure of the, all the fullness of God. Amen.